First of all, as we always begin, let me thank you for being here this morning and just make a quick general comment. This morning during the service, one of the things that's going to happen is a couple of the fellows in the church, I think a couple of the elders are going to be praying for the Christian community in Iraq. And I think some of you have seen and are watching what is happening with the terrible persecution of those who claim Christ as Lord rather than Allah, who have been converted out of Allahism to the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as you know, some of these and maybe all of them are being threatened that if you don't convert to Islam, you will be killed, your children will be killed, etc., etc. And so we know this is a terrible situation. But may I remind us one more time as we are gathered around the teaching of the word, for such a day as this, we need to know, be steeped in, be regular with, be immersed in, be memorizing, be understanding, be walking in, be living in the word of God. Amen? For such a day as this, we need to be ready. God is equipping us, preparing us, guarding us, building us up, because one day, and we believe our Bible to be true, the kind of persecution that we see happening over there is coming over here. Now, whether you believe in the rapture of the church or you don't, we understand that some way the church is under attack from the very beginning, and that attack is not going to be diminishing. It is going to be increasing, increasing, and increasing as the enemy sees his time is drawing to a near before the great and terrible day of the Lord, amen, the day that the Lord returns in judgment. Are you with me on this? So as we watch these events on television, let's not watch them just with the attitude, oh, that's terrible, and it is. And we want to pray for those people, and we do. But let's also watch it with an understanding. We ourselves need to be prepared for such a day as this. And how do you get prepared? Your bank account won't prepare you. Your secular education won't prepare you. You're watching television sports, and we like the Saints. We're glad the Saints won the other night. That won't prepare you. There's only one book that will prepare us. What is that? The Word of God by the Spirit. That's just an editorial. It doesn't count for the class this morning, and that because of that, we'll probably take three hours over just to continue. So thank you for being here. Thanks for old Hill Man over there bringing in a bunch of guys from Teen Challenge. Bless you all. Thank you all, man, for being here this morning. We love having you. You all come back, you hear? Come back. So we're continuing this morning in our study of Colossians. If you'd be turning to Colossians chapter 1, by the way, I think we're going to be in chapter 1 for a few more weeks anyway. And so looking at chapter 1 of Colossians, this morning we're actually going to be in verses 11 and 12. So let's open with prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Father, we are looking at the living history of what it must have been like in the days of Acts when your church was under persecution. Father, we're seeing right before our eyes the kind of persecution and destruction and death that those men and women suffered for your glory, for a testimony of your greatness in their lives. 
while they're showing that the life of Christ in them was greater than anything or anyone else. So, Father, as we study this morning, continue to build us up and strengthen us, as we'll talk about this morning. Father, that we may be in these easy days witnesses for your glory. Father, that the root of our faith may go deeper and deeper into the soil of your goodness. Father, build us up. Cause us to be a testimony. Father, cause us to be powerful in your name, to do what you have wanted us to do, that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you in all things, bearing fruit, always increasing in the knowledge of God. Father, would you do that this morning using this class, using our service this morning at 10, using our fellowship using our personal study and prayer, using Bible Jam, Father, using Alpha, Father, using all the means that you've given to our hands, Father, that we may be upon the earth a people who exemplifies your majesty, your greatness, and your power, that Jesus Christ is Lord. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, you remember now where we are. In verses 9 and 10, Paul has prayed that the church, the children of the second Adam. Now, remember when I say the second Adam or the last Adam, we're using biblical terminology here that refers to Jesus as the completion for man being in God's image that man, God intended the first Adam to be. The first Adam failed because of disobedience, and God in his wisdom, not being defeated by anything or anyone, will continue this great work of making man according to his image. And so he is going to send another man, another Adam. Remember, in the Hebrew, the word man is Adam. It, it is the word Adam. He will send another Adam who will fulfill in himself what the first Adam was supposed to fulfill. And so every time, again, we read the Bible, especially these letters of Paul and these other apostles, in order to get the length and the breadth and the height and the depth, in order to see the comprehensive inclusion of the whole Word of God, we must read in relation to what God has already done and said from the Old Testament beginning in Genesis. And so what we don't want to do we don't want to read, for instance, this letter or any of the letters or any of the Gospels or any other part of the Bible, but especially in the New Testament. We don't want to read it in isolation of Genesis 1-1 all the way through, but especially of the first three chapters of Genesis. We need to see that what we're viewing in these letters is the fulfillment of what God intended to do in Genesis as he has fulfilled his purpose in the birth, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, the exaltation of this second Adam, Jesus Christ, who, because he has been made King of kings and Lord of lords, because as a man, a man, 
a man has now been, gov been given governance and authority and dominion over the entire created order, a man. And as a result of that, this man now sends his Holy Spirit into the world to collect the church so that gathered unto himself may be God's people made in the image of God according to Genesis 1.26, which was God's original intention being conformed to the image of God's Son in Romans 8, 29. And that is being manifested in one way primarily upon the earth, and that is as we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so all of this gigantic work of God, all of this immense movement of the Holy Spirit from the beginning all the way until it's fulfilled in Revelation 21 and 22, Everything is contained and realized and manifested in this one word, walk, that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So what does that say? It means this, that what Paul is writing, for instance, to the Colossians, and that does not exclude the other letters, but we're talking about Colossians. Everything is bearing down into one issue, that the entire purpose of God that the entire revelation of the glory of God through his son, that the entire reason for Jesus coming to the earth and doing what he did and going through what he went through and rising from the dead and ascending and sending the Holy Spirit was for one primary reason, that who God is and how God is, his nature and his character would be manifested clearly and compellingly and consistently through a people redeemed by the blood of the Lamb in their daily walk so that we may image God himself. So why do I emphasize this? Because Paul emphasizes it. And we want to make sure that nothing else before God is more important than who we are and how we are as his people in a living way among ourselves first and out to the world secondarily. And so you remember Paul has prayed that the church will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. How? In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. For what purpose? So they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Which means what? It's pleasing to God. It is bearing fruit, and it is increasing in the knowledge of God. So that's where we are this morning. And so this morning, Paul's going to pray for this prayer to be answered. Now, when we talk about that we may be filled with all the will of God, the knowledge of God's will, we talked about what that means. How can this happen? How can I be filled with all the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Well, this morning, Paul is going to begin to apply the application or make it real in our lives through his prayer. So verse 11. Verse 11, because Paul knows that he has prayed for the impossible. Remember, he's prayed for the impossible. It is impossible naturally indigenous to me as a human being through my own effort to be filled with all the knowledge of God. I can't do anything whatsoever to get the knowledge of God into me and understand it and certainly to be filled by that knowledge. And so he now prays for God to make the impossible possible. 
he prays that God will now make that which is impossible to me and to you in the natural to be possible. How? By asking what? That they be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. That they be strengthened with all power. With all power according to God's glorious might. Now, we're not going to go into this, but where else have we seen the emphasis of the necessity of our being empowered to be Christ's witnesses? Acts 1.8. Remember that? What does Jesus say? Before he ascends into heaven, it's about the 40th day now. He's been walking among the disciples in the flesh. And he says, look, boys, I'm going away. But I want all you guys and girls to go into Jerusalem and y'all hang around a while. Don't go out into the streets and start preaching and believing that you can do what I've given you to do because you can't do it because you need to be empowered by my spirit. So hang around because what is going to happen is you are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be empowered to be my witnesses, to be my disciples upon the earth. This is the kind of power that Paul is speaking about here, God's power. He says this, this power is according to God's glorious might. What is his glorious might? His glorious might is demonstrated where? Not so much in the first creation, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a mighty work of God. But isn't it interesting that the Bible doesn't refer to the first creation as God's glorious might? We would think, wow, and we should. God's glorious might is demonstrated not in his first creation, but in his second creation. In the fact that he puts to death all that is of the first, all of its fallenness and sin and corruption and darkness and damnation, he puts it to death in this man, Jesus Christ. And when he raises Jesus from the dead as the first of the new creation, the first man from the dead, Adam among us, Emmanuel, the man of God's own image, perfectly and forever the bible refers to that work that resurrecting power of god that raised his son from the dead that is the glorious power or the glorious mind of god that's what the bible is referring to so when paul says i pray that you be strengthened with all power according to god's marvelous might what is he referring to that we be endued with the resurrection power with the same power that god exercised to raise jesus from the dead that he would do that work in us because all of us remember we were once dead living in darkness but now we have been made alive living in light and that has occurred as the resurrection power god's power that raised up this dead man from the grave and gave him life as an eternal man forever in the heavens that same power now has been exercised in me and in you who are saved to raise us up from the dead and to seat us as alive in christ with him forever so that we will rule and reign with him amen 
That's God's glorious might. That's what Paul is asking for. He can't ask for greater power. You can't have greater power. There is nowhere to go to get anything greater than what God gives us in Christ. So this morning, if you're looking at your life and you're seeing things are happening and I need more power, and that, you don't need more power. You need more of the power of God that is in you to be exercised and be released in you. Amen? God can't give you more than he's already given you in Christ. Are you with me this morning? So, Father, release more of the power in me. Holy Spirit, infuse me in a greater and deeper way by your power. I don't ask for more power. How can I get more power? My God has given me all the power that he can give me. Now mine is to walk in that, is to believe it, is to receive it. And asking the Holy Spirit would exercise it dominionly in my life in a way that it is getting into all the areas of my life, especially those areas that I refuse to let him get into, that I don't like him creeping into these areas. I like my little thoughts. I like my little attitudes. I like my little uh, activities over here. I like my little whatever. And so, God, that isn't for you to come in. You just do the big work and leave some of this little stuff to me. God's marvelous and major, God's glorious might must get into those areas. And that's what God is doing. You see, this is the power that God exercised in raising Jesus from the dead as the first man, the first Adam of the new creation, <clears throat> so that through his resurrection, we also would become new, his new creation people. Remember what 2 Corinthians, Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. What does that mean? We are now raised and constituted spiritually to be clothed physically on that day in the same way and have the same life that the man, Jesus Christ, has. We have the same life. We will have the same kind of body that he has because we will be made after the similitude of him who has been raised from the dead. So we also become his new creation. 1 Corinthians 6, 14. And God raised the Lord, Lord Jesus and will also raise us up by his power you see this power is needed to equip the church with endurance you see what it says or you follow me in the verse endurance and patience you see that after it says his glorious might you see endurance and patience this power is needed we said right in the beginning that the church in iraq needs to be exercising and experiencing the power of god we need the power of god what not to be raised from the dead I don't need the power of God to raise me from the dead face because I have been raised in Christ. He's already exercised that power. So if you're in Christ, that power has already been given to us. Amen? Anybody looking to be raised from the dead today? No, we're a saved people. I'm assuming everybody in here is saved. If you're not, then you're still dead in your sins. So I'm not asking God to exercise his marvelous might and power steve paul is not asking oh god give steve that power so he may be raised from the dead you are a man of god you are raised from the dead you are sitting with christ in the heavenlies but now paul is asking that this power be given to us so as we find ourselves walking in a manner worthy of the lord we are going to be bumping up against every single obstacle that will raise itself up against the knowledge of God and we will be bumping up and those things will be bumping up against us continually all the time every day moment by moment 
And what we need here is the power that God will exercise in our life, in our hearts, in our walk, so that we can do our walk in endurance and patience. Amen? Endurance and impatience. Now, how many of us, I'm thinking about myself first. I really am. Gene would tell you. How many of us really find ourselves walking in patience? How many of us will say, look, I need a greater infusion of God in endurance and patience, right? Let any one little thing go wrong, and it's like, <clears throat> there goes all my faith. There goes all my looking there goes all my dependence upon Jesus. It seems that way. It doesn't happen, but that's just sometimes what it seems like. So you can see why Paul is asking for the church. See, this is part of the prayer we need to pray not only for the Iraq Christians, no matter, not only for the Christians in China, not only for the Christians in West Wego. Oh, you're talking about some foreign lands I have mentioned this morning. I didn't even mention Winfield or West Monroe. But we need to pray for us, for us. How many of us need more endurance and patience? Now, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, we come talk to you next week, and you'll find out how much endurance and patience you need. <laughs> I'm coming to your house. Oh, Lord, give me endurance and patience for this man. <laughs> I'm not going to read Romans. Well, look, let me just, we, look, we need endurance and patience. Now, listen to me. To face and overcome all the obstacles and opposition of our flesh, of the world, and of sin and Satan. Okay? We need that. We need it. Romans 5, 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We need that. We need that work of God in our lives. And so as Paul is praying for endurance and he's praying for patience, he concludes with what? With joy as the Father gives thanks. I'm sorry, as he gives thanks to the Father. With joy as he gives thanks to the Father. So he's asking for this with joy. Now you may see endurance, endurance and patience with joy. Well, I don't, you, know, you can go two or three ways with this. It looks like he's giving thanks to the Father with joy in this prayer. And so, we're at a point here. Now, it looks like he said this. Paul gives the reason in verse 12 for the joy and confidence that God will answer his prayer. How does he know that God's going to answer this prayer? How does he know that asking for God's supernatural resurrection power to be infused into these believers so that they will be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord with all endurance and patience. How does he know that? Or walk with joy. Okay, fine. How does he know that? Because he knows what God has done to do this work. You see, his answer is because God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God has qualified us. Now, we talked about this a week or two ago. 
And I understand that we have to be very careful with our terminology. And we have to be careful. If I were to say, how many of us believe that we're not worthy to be receiving grace? We probably all would say what? We're not worthy. Amen? Okay, that's true in one sense. But it's not correct in another sense. So we have to be careful of these blanket statements that seem as if they cover all issues, all the work of God. As to my personal righteousness, as to my personal goodness, as to my personal worth, as to my personal ability to earn God's uh, uh, grace, as to me, myself, personally, I am not worthy of God's grace. Do you believe that? Are you agreeing with that? Is there anything in any of us intrinsically, when I say intrinsically, you know, as you as a human being, just on your own by yourself, is there anything in any of us that God said, oh, I just have to have him in the kingdom. Oh, he's so good. He can play, what is it, tennis, right? Right? I, I, I always get golf and tennis confused. He can play tennis, and I need a tennis player so the other tennis players who are not saved can be giving the gospel. Who? You play tennis? It's a good thing God didn't say that to you, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and we do that, don't you? Oh, if only God could save Michael Jordan. Think of all the basketball players that will come to the Lord. <laughs> are you kidding? And so you see, God doesn't act like that. And so by yourself, on your own, we are a puzzle piece in the ditch of life that isn't worth picking up. Right? But in the view of God, this master puzzle maker who has stamped out the puzzle that he has created in his mind and has thrown into the world through the centuries all the pieces of the puzzle that belong to him and they're scattered all around the world in every century and in most places and now the Holy Spirit is out looking not for puzzle pieces who are looking for Jesus because ain't no puzzle pieces looking for Jesus but he's looking for the puzzle pieces that belong to the purpose of God that God desires and in his mind decided would be part of his master plan. Amen? And so that puzzle piece by itself in the dirt, Harold, is not worth diddly swat. But because that puzzle piece is part of God's puzzle of his son, that piece of puzzle in relation to God's purpose is of infinite value. Therefore, the Son of God comes to die on the cross in order to redeem God's puzzle pieces. So in that respect, we are of infinite value to God. Do you get it this morning? So let us not be too quick to say, oh, I'm just not worthy. We saw that a week ago or so. That's wrong. As a son of God, am I worthy? Have I been qualified by God to receive the inheritance in the saints? How many of you believe you've been qualified by God? You may not feel like it, but theologically you know. You have been qualified by God. 
Everyone in here who is a saint has been qualified by God. You didn't qualify yourself. God qualified you. And so, you see, what happens is the devil wants to cause us to not understand that we are God's qualified, worthy people in Christ. In Christ. We need to see ourselves differently than we have been seeing ourselves, even as men and women of God. Oh, I don't want to ask God for that because, you know, I just haven't. Are you kidding? If it's God's will, go after it. And if you don't go after it, then you're maligning the God who has qualified you and paid for your salvation at the cross. You see, it's pride. It's that reverse pride. It's just pride. It's a rejection of what God has said in favor of what your flesh says. May I repeat it? It's a rejection of what God has said about you in favor of what your own flesh says about you. So let's stop that. And it's hard, isn't it? I'm qualified. I'm worthy. Is that easy for you? Is that easy? No, it isn't. Because we have lived too long on the other side, and we need to come over to this side. I would rather see a people who are more in tune with their qualification and their worth in Christ than their unworthiness and, oh, me and all oh, my mother, whatever, because that maligns God. Jesus has died to qualify us. So begin to think differently. So as you're walking through life and as you're praying and dealing with the issues of life, the devil is constantly going to knock on your door to say, you're not qualified. You mean to tell me that you're asking for that and you just did that sin? You know what you do? You stand up and you say, you're right, sucker. I did sin. I confess it to God. I am a forgiven man and woman. And God has qualified me in Christ. And I'm going with God on this. Go back to hell where you belong. You see, we get punched around, and we let him punch us. And who, who in here would stand and watch your little child be punched by a bully? Who? Tell me who. How many of you men would rise up seeing your little child be punched by a bully and go in there and stomp the bully? How many of you? Yeah, don't touch my grandchildren. I'm trying, don't touch my grandchildren. And I'm not big. I know Terrence McCracken. And I know a man who's big. You see what I'm saying to you? Don't let him bully you. Don't let him bully you. You would say to your son or daughter, sweetheart, stand up. And in my power, in my name, I'm there with you. We're going to fight this thing and defeat it. Amen? Why? Because my child, my grandchild being related to me is worthy of all that I have for him or them. Amen? Are you with me? Well, we see this in the natural. Let's see it in the spiritual. <clears throat> now, Paul is, you know, he qualified, what did he say, in the saints, didn't he? You qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. When he uses the word inheritance, remember, we talk about the lamb, the promise of Abraham. We won't go into all that. We've been through it before. It's always a temptation to try to go back. But when he talks about inheritance, remember, that is a term that goes back to Genesis 128. 128. 
although the word inheritance isn't there, it is a word that means gathered up and given to you all that God will give to you and all that God wants for you. And remember, God told Adam, what? Be fruitful and multiply and do what? Fill the earth. You see, our inheritance is to fill the earth as the people of God for his glory. So the inheritance in the saints, and you think, well, that's enough. He's really given, but then he tacks on <coughs> this little prepositional phrase, in like. In like. Now, now, why does Paul do that? Because he could have stopped with saints. That, that was enough. He really could have. But you see, what's happening is this. And here's a major thing we need to make sure we do. <coughs> when we are reading these epistles, we need to ask the Holy Spirit, not only just to show us, what does that mean in light? Or look at it and we move along. But we need to ask the Holy Spirit in some way that he would give us an understanding, a revelation of what a man like the Apostle Paul had in mind when he said these two words, in light. Because when Paul says, in light, He has just gathered into that phrase the beginning of creation to the new creation. He has just gathered into that little phrase this monumental work of God in the first creation and bringing about the second creation and bringing its fulfillment in Revelation 21, as we'll see at the end. This is a monumental understanding that this man has. And he certainly doesn't have time to develop it in one letter, or one of his letters would have been 24,826 pages, and he just would have been finished Genesis 1-1. You see, there's so much there. And so what is, I believe, the burden of God for us in this study? It's not just to find out what is in this word and get a few more bits of information and have greater clarity, which that is. But it's to show us that there is more to the word of God than we have been seeing. That this word is a comprehensive, inclusive revelation from beginning to end. It is a monumental revelation. And Paul using this little phrase, in light, which, you know, when we read this, most of us would have skipped over it. I was coming last week to church, and I'd already done most of the study last week and finished it for this week. And, and I'm fine, in light, and I did a few little things and move along. You know, that's fine. And all of a sudden, while driving here, the Lord says, wait, you missed the point. Now, this morning, we're not going to be able to do much with it, but a few little things. And I just want to share this with you. I don't know when I have had so much, and you won't see it in the notes. I mean, like, these are simple little notes. What is this? I don't know when I have had so much struggle and difficulty and opposition of just giving you, what, 10 minutes more of a little bit of information for two little words. Opposition. Mine won't work. I'm having struggles. I can't get it together. I'm writing and rewriting and constructing and going on. 
and I'm there one day, three and a half hours, the next day, like four hours. I, I cannot get this thing together. Why? Because I don't know anything about the word? No, I know a little bit. I'm not as, you know, I don't know as much as I really, but because, you see, there is an oppo opposer to the truth. You understand this? <clears throat> when you are given the task to share the gospel, you will be opposed. There will be a price to pay. And your decision, like mine, has to be, is the price worth the result? Is it worth the result? So finally, Friday morning, I think it was, it, it kind of released. And okay, I was able to move forward. Why do I share this with you? So you'll say, oh, this pastor is so wonderful. No, no. To see this, that there is a constant opposition by the enemy, by the force of darkness against the light of the revelation of Christ. And you need to see this. So let's just talk for a moment about this, and I'll try to get through it before the end of the day. Paul has two thoughts in mind, at least when he says in light. He has theological revelation and understanding here. And he has personal experience in this term or in this phrase in light. So first, when Paul uses the word in light, he is referring to the creative activity of God's light that began life in the original creation. Remember what Genesis 1 verse 3 says, let and God said what? Let there be light. When Paul uses this word in light, his mind immediately as the Holy Spirit gives him this phrase and then shoves him all the way back to Genesis. Paul immediately gathers up, he remembers and gathers up everything that he has read and understood of God's work in creation, beginning with let there be light. So in this phrase, in light, Paul is initially talking about the original in light. And in that, that command, what does God do in that command? This is not just a physical shining light, although it is. This light is God's way of bringing life into the creation. You remember after verse 3, with verse 6 to 25, you get all these, the animals and the seas and the lilies and the insects and the birdies and all of that kind of stuff. This, where all of this is created as a result of light coming into the world. So this combination of life and light is a standard Old Testament understanding that when God's light is being shown, life is happening and so paul sees this so in job 33 30 well let me uh, 27 uh, 1 of psalm the lord is my light and of and my salvation whom shall i fear the lord is the stronghold of my life listen to psalm 56 13 for you have delivered my soul from death yes my feet from falling that i may walk before god in the light of life now remember that term the light of life just remember that phrase the light of life what Paul is saying is that we have been qualified, remember? Qualified, remember? In the inheritance of the saints, we have been qualified to be the saints of God. Why? Because God has shown his light into our darkened hearts in order to illumine us with his light in the same way that he brought life forth in the original creation. 
So in the same way, when God said, let there be light in Genesis 1-3, we were saved when God said, let there be light in Peter Davidson. Let there be light in John May. Let there be light wherever. And the shining of God's light brought life to us. And so Paul is remembering this. Paul is remembering here when he says in light that this is God's creative activity to create the first, bring forth the first creation and then bring forth the second creation or the new creation in Christ. See, he also remembers some prophecies. Listen to this prophecy from Isaiah, Isaiah 9 2. The people who walked in darkness. Now, who used to walk in darkness? Remember what Ephesians 2 says, 1 through 3? How many of you remember that? For we were what? Dead in our sins and trespasses. Remember that? We all walked in darkness. So the people who have walked in darkness, I'm in that word, and you're in that word. We used to walk in darkness. We have seen a great light. This is a prophecy that God gives to Isaiah about the coming of the Messiah, about that new day. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, we dwelt in a land of deep darkness. This is the world. On them, light has shone. Chapter 60, verse 1, he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So you see, light is God's activity of bringing forth his own life into the dark and dead world. Now, when, this, when was this prophecy fulfilled? This prophecy was fulfilled, listen to these words in Matthew. Now remember, light, I'm just quoting a couple of verses. In Matthew 2, verse 1 and verse 10, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, <coughs> Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. What is the star? Light. We have seen his light. Remember Isaiah 9, 2. When it rose and have come to worship him, verse 10. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So the announcement of Jesus coming into the world is announced through the giving forth of the revelation of light coming into the world. So once again, as in the original cosmos, God brings forth, let there be light in the birth of Jesus, just as he did in Genesis 1, verse 3. This is the beginning of the second creation. Let there be light, and he does it through this star. That the life of Christ has been birthed into the world. Remember, John also describes this light and life in combination in the Gospel of John. Listen to this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, that glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of Grace and truth. Remember what Jesus said about himself. I am the light of the world. Remember that? I am the light of the world. What is Jesus saying here? When he says he's the light of the world, when John says there was life in him and there was light in him, what is he saying? That this is the very God of creation who began all the creation through the giving forth of his own intrinsic life 
What light? This is not just illuminating darkness. This is a word that tells us who God is in himself. And as he confesses by his word himself into this mass of creation here, this darkness, as he confesses himself and puts himself into that and sends himself and his spirit into that darkness, life begins to occur. Life begins to be created. Now, Paul not only has a theological understanding of this, and there's a lot more we could say, but we don't have the time. Not only has a theological understanding, but this is a very personal thing. Remember this light of creation. Listen to his testimony in Acts 26. In this connection, he's talking, remember, to the uh, Agrippa and them. I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the high chief priest. Remember, this is from Acts chapter 9. Remember Acts chapter 9. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven. Let there be light upon the apostle Paul, upon this man Saul, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then you see Jesus in the rest of this, this testimony tells Paul, I am commissioning you that you will bring the light into a dark, people, a dark place, that it will begin to illumine people's lives. So Paul, when he says in light, has a very specific theological revelation here, and he has a very personal revelation. Listen to what he says. Remember, how was Paul saved? He was saved on the road to Damascus when the light of God shone down upon him just like the star of Bethlehem shone down upon this place in Bethlehem, just like the light of God's creative work shone down upon this darkened creation. Here Paul is now giving an explanation of that and talking about that in 2 Corinthians, and listen to his terminology in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and verse 6, these two verses put together. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. God, Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So verse 6, for God said, who said, let light shine out of darkness or let there be light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How do we become qualified? How do we become saints? In and by the power of God's light, Jesus Christ, as he's shown his light of the gospel of Jesus' resurrection into our darkness by the illuminating power of his Holy Spirit. Next week in verse 13, Paul will describe how this happened. Okay, see you next week.